And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Lon Strickler. Lon, how much don't we know about these creatures? <laughs> I'm afraid there's a lot we don't know, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you're so, right. So, uh, you know, people are becoming more or less, let's put it this way, less inhib- inhibited about coming forward. Uh, I, I'd say more recently because of paranormal TV, the Internet, and a lot of other factors. Um, people do seem to be coming forward much more than they did before. They feel comfortable. They don't feel ridiculed like they used to. Well, yeah, I think that's the big part. Uh, That seems to be the big reason why people just did not want to report things. They are fearful of ridicule. And uh, that's one thing we do promise, uh, anonymity, and uh, we do keep everything confidential. With the humanoids that are flying around Chicago, have pilots reported seeing them too? Yes, they have. We've had two pilots that have made reports. What do they say? Well, <laughs> they don't really don't know what to say, quite frankly. They are kind of shocked by what they encounter. And uh, like most other people, they, uh, they get online and they do find us and contact us. Uh, you know, I, I, I have no idea how many times these things are being seen and just not being reported. Um, I, I do know that the one pilot who, who did contact us told us that uh, he was on a, uh, on a forum for pilots, and that's when he found out that the sightings were going on in Chicago, and that's where he found our information at. So that's why he contacted us. What do they think that's going on? Uh, they really don't want to speculate. I, uh, the only thing that I can say is that the, both pilots who did make reports with us stated that they, they did contact the tower. They told them what they saw. Uh, but when we made uh, FOIA requests with the, uh, the Great Lakes uh, Regional Office of the FAA, uh, we never got any information stating that the the, uh, pilots didn't make the report. Now, I do believe the pilots, I think they did make the report. But as far as what they're saying, they saw, the one in particular saw, he was making his way back to the the terminal. Him and his co-pilot saw this thing fly in in front of their windshield. Does anybody ever report seeing it hover like a helicopter? Occasionally. Occasionally. Uh, we've had close encounters with, with folks, one in particular, where uh, this thing literally descended in front of a couple and was hovering above the sidewalk in front of them. Oh, geez. Like a bumblebee, a big one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and they, it was vibrating as well. And they look more human than bird? Yeah. The, the body shape is human, but of course, when you got the wings and the red eyes, that kind of tells you that these are something much different than a regular humanoid. Do they have beaks? No, that that hasn't been one of the descriptions. I don't can't remember anything like that being said. What would you describe the faces like? Many times the the faces don't even have any description. That it seems to be a, a blank face. Uh, the only noticeable feature for the most part are the eyes, if they do have red eyes. Uh, but no reports of like a beard or anything like that? No, nothing like that. 
Strange. Let's go to the phones. Bill in Los Angeles to get us started. Hey, Bill, go ahead. Hi, George and Lon. Uh, George, do you uh, and and Lon, uh, do you guys recognize these famous song lyrics? There's a man down in Mexico, flies over valleys and hills, doesn't need wings or an engine, and probably never will. Sing it for me. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't really sing it. Um, it's a it's a famous song. Uh, you, I think I think you've used it as a bumper. Is it Margaritaville? Uh, <laughs> no, it's a uh, it would it's Fleetwood Mac, nineteen seventy three. It's a Bob Welch tune called Hypnotized. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't remember the words. Yeah, and yeah, I, I noticed. I didn't. Never, I never thought about them until a couple months ago, and I realized it, it was describing something fifty years ago that resembles a uh, 2004 History Channel analog video of a witch-like cryptid on a broomstick. Oh, yeah, yeah back, in, back there was a, what they called the, uh, the flying witches of Monterey. Um, this, this is a phenomenon that was investigated in the early 2000s, and actually there was a police officer in Monterey, or a, or a suburb of Monterey, that had an encounter with one of these things, and he stated it looked like a female, like a witch that descended upon him and just scared the living hell out of him. So, uh, yeah, people have seen those in, in the, the mountains around Monterey, and uh, there's if you go online uh, on YouTube or such and, and, and put in there or search Flying Witches of Mexico, they'll come up. What happened to those reports? They kind of die know. off. The, 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 you know, I, I don't. I don't think there was any real follow up. Uh, I do know that Ken Gerhardt, who is a cryptozoologist in, in Texas, did go down there and do some investigation into the phenomena. But uh, as far as any conclusion as to what as to what they saw or what they experienced, there hasn't really been any uh, any observations or anything beyond what that police officer reported. Let's go back to Bill in Los Angeles. Bill, did you have another question? Um, I was just going to uh, suggest that it's possible. Is it possible that these are some kind of projected holograms, all, all these cryptid sightings, or some of them at least, as opposed to interdimensional? Because saying they're interdimensional may be true, but that doesn't really tell us anything. And it seems like if if something's messing with us, kind of, AK, uh, along the lines of uh, um, Skinwalker, it, that might make it just as much sense. What do, what do you think? It's a possibility, I suppose. You know, we, you know, it's it's something we've looked into. Um, and you know, when we say interdimensional, we really have no proof of that. It's just the fleeting appearance and disappearance of these beings. Uh, you know, at this point, that's all we really can say, that they're moving in and out of our dimension. Uh, but as far as holograms are being projected by uh, another intelligence of some type, I guess it's it's absolutely possible. But, you know, we really don't know what it is. Let's go to Caleb in Chicago. Maybe he saw one of these things. Hi, Caleb. Hey. Welcome to the show. Yes, sir. There we go. All right, so I'm in Chicago, right? And you can tell me where I got to go to find this moth, man. But second off, why don't we just get a real big spotlight or something? And everybody has to stand around and wait for it. And, you know, shoot them, catch them, whatever, you know, they got to do. But that's 
you know, it's, that makes the most sense to me. You know, the moths, the bugs by the back door and the light and everything. So let's just try it on like a bigger scale. Can you catch it, Dudlon? I don't think so, but, you know, I guess if you're willing to do it, I'd give it a, give it a shot, I'd say. But, uh, you know, I, I don't believe that would be something that would be conducive to actually catching these things. Uh, especially in an urban area. If you're out there with a spotlight in an urban area, I don't think. Well, uh, and you really don't know when they're going to pop up. And that's just it. Absolutely. Or where. Right. Bill in Indianapolis, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill, go ahead. Hey, George. Hey, Lon. Hey, Lon, I really enjoyed Mothman Dynasty. I just checked my Kindle library, and I I do have the book. I've read about three-quarters of it, and uh, I was looking through specifically for something. I didn't see it in there, but uh, Lon, have you had any familiarity with the Piasaw bird? Yes, we have. Alton, Illinois. Illinois. Yep. Yep. It's a... creature that supposedly was known by the indigenous people uh, 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 in Illinois. That's uh, right. In fact, there was a... Uh, they uh, painted a picture of this thing on the exactly. cliffs. A, yeah, yeah. And uh, is it a legend? I don't know. Is it a thunderbird? We don't know. You know, we got a lot of thunderbird sightings in Illinois and in Indiana. Well, in the upper Midwest as a region. Uh, it's very well known. Been a lot of historical sightings of what the indigenous people called a, a thunderbird. I do a reading on uh, that, on what the Native Americans did. In uh, one, uh, the, the chief tried to fight uh, fight this thing off as it was attacking everybody. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a legend. Uh, did they actually see it? I think there may be something to it because in modern times we've had pterosaur sightings, the thunderbird sightings, and of course the winged humanoid sightings. In the uh, upper Midwest, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin. Yeah, it's... Uh... Well, this was clearly, they called it a large bird. Right. The, the Piasaw bird. Mm-hmm. And on the cliffs of the in Alton, Illinois, Alton. right over the Mississippi, you will see a huge painting that Native Americans did hundreds of years ago, I would guess, Lon, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I'd say it's at least 200 years old. It's amazing. Joe in Long Island, New York. Go ahead, Joseph. Hi, Ron. I have two quick questions and a comment on Bigfoot. Hmm? Uh, My first question is about the witching hour, 3 a.m., someone ringing the doorbell at 3 a.m., and you kind of know that it might not be uh, good. Don't answer Uh, it. Don't answer it. And my second question would be... uh, you know, is there anything esoteric about those big, beautiful buildings that they built in Chicago? You know, how they had that kind of like a race between all those uh, architects, uh, you know, given the history of that's a big part of the history of Chicago. And then my comment on Bigfoot is uh, if they're interdimensional, I would think they would be occasionally on a crowded city street given that they could just quickly disappear. I think the fact that they're more so seen in the woods means that they know humans are, uh, could be armed, could have guns, and they're kind of doing a hide-and-seek with them. It's my opinion. Oh, I think they are aware of us. And, uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to uh, – they're going to pop up on a city street. Uh, as far as the esoteric uh, 
uh, buildings and questions about Chicago. Chicago's got a long history of supernatural paranormal activity. And in fact, it's probably, as for being an urban area, uh, has some of the you know, most prolific UFO sightings in, in any urban area in the United States. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with the lake itself. So, uh, but of course, you know, it, it's a haunted city. I mean, there's a lot that has gone on there over the years. And, uh, you know, I think, um, I think there may be something about that that tends to uh, draw the energy there. Do you think the reports of the humanoid are one or many different creatures? Oh, I think there are definitely many different ones. Um, you know, when we first started looking into the phenomena in 2017, because of the, uh, the slight differences in some of the sightings, I, I thought, well, I even told my team I believed that there's at least three of these beings showing up in the area. Uh, since that time, I think there have been many, many other ones who have come and gone over that period of time. Let's go to Brian in Kent, Washington. Brian, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Yeah, you're talking about uh, interdimensional. Um, Big Ferris Sasquatch is definitely interdimensional. Basically, they're they're extraterrestrial, a being of light, and interdimensional shapeshifter. That's one of the main reasons why they can't be seen. Plus, the fact that they they exist at a higher frequency than human beings, so they have uh, it's it's virtually impossible for human beings to see them. Though animals can see them because they have different rods and cones in their eyes. But the the interdimensional thing is is, is absolutely true. Dr. Matthew Johnson is has investigated that, and he was told by, by the, the, the squatches that, that, that they are interdimensional, and there are lots of interdimensional beings out there, out there. What do you think of that, Lon? Well, I think it's absolutely possible. It very well could be possible. Uh, there's a lot of things we just don't understand, and um, you know, we have a lot of theories about a lot of different types of cryptids, and that's just one of many. Tom in La Jolla, California. Hello, Thomas. Hi, George. Thank you for accepting my call. Sure. And, uh, Lon, great information you're bringing to the table. I, I have a quick question. I'm curious if there have been any reports on insectoid creatures, cryptids, that are insect or insectoid described. I think Mothman was described as that, right, Yeah, Ron? Mothman was described as an insectoid, but we, we do have, um, when you're talking about possible extraterrestrial or non-terrestrial encounters, many times, uh, it, and it seems to be the hierarchy of, the, uh, of these type of creatures, there are insectoid-type descriptions that some abductees and, and experiencers do, uh, do, do mention. Amazing. Tom, thank you. Appreciate you being part of the program. Where do people get your books, Lon? Oh, you can get them on Amazon. Just put in Lon Strickler on the search, and they'll all come up. Let's go to John, truck driving in Ohio. Go ahead, John. Hi, I, I got three questions. I mean, uh, first of all, are these things being seen seasonal, round, all season, or are they seen mostly in the summer and they go away from the winter? All right, let's go at one at a time. Seasonal, are they seasonal? You know, when this first started and we were getting many reports in spring and in the summer, uh, that's what we thought. We thought, well, maybe it's a seasonal thing. You know, it gets very cold in Chicago in, in the winter and they wouldn't show up. And there was a lull 
but as the years have gone by, we've probably had just as many sightings in the cold weather as the, the nice weather. What's your second question, John? Uh, do they come out? I mean, has anyone seen them during the day? Are they night creatures, or do they be seen in the day as well? They've been seen at the daytime, have they not, Delon? Yeah, mostly, mostly night, but, uh, yeah, we've had some daytime sightings. And your last question. And then my last one, there is, I know you were saying interdimensional, but in the Great Lakes, supposedly there's a phenomenon like the Bermuda Triangle. And I'm wondering if it's not interdimensional, but maybe there's something going on in there. Like uh, they've had some ships where they've gone in through and the instruments have gone crazy. And they think that that could be part of that in the Great Lakes as well. Well, the um, the Lake Michigan Triangle is a well-known phenomenon. There's been um, airline, not airline, but small plane disappearances, uh, small boat, and even some commercial boat disappearances on the lake. We've had individuals who have reported seeing lights in the lake. Was, wasn't the Edmund Fitzgerald when it went down in Lake Superior in that, that triangle? Yeah. That was, well, I, I don't know. That was, that was associated with a storm. Oh, that was a storm. No doubt yeah. about that. But, the lake, but lake Michigan has had some very, some very strange sightings of USO underwater type submerged craft coming out out of the lake and in some disappearances as well as some uh some accidents in that uh the triangle and i i can't give you the exact coordinates of where the triangle is and i have written about it but uh yeah there is definitely a phenomenon there a lot of strange things going on on this planet lon huh absolutely it is really just bizarre and for you personally what excites you the most about what you do oh god you know, I guess it's a labor of love. It's something I, 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 I want to know the truth. I don't know if I'm ever going to find it. Uh, I, I think if we, at some point, we do get some answers to to one phenomena, uh, I, I think something else is going to pop up and just keep our interest going in it. Well, on, we're going to come back in just a moment and wrap things up with you on Coast to Coast. So stand by. Lon Strickler has been our guest, and his websites are all linked up at coasttocoastam.com. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Lon Strickler as we wrap things up. Lon, so what is next for you? What's your next project? <laughs> Whatever comes our way, I guess. Uh, we're just following up on current cases, but, uh, you know, we're always open, open for, uh, for something else. So, yeah, you know, we just contact us if you, uh, if you have seen anything or want us to look into something, uh, just go to their website, famsmonsters.com, and check us out. How often are the cases coming into you? Oh, my God. I, I probably get three or four a week. That's uh, a lot. Yeah, we do get a lot. I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty picky about what we get, but, um, you know, if, if it's something to where we can get boots on the ground, we'll, we'll most likely look into it. And you get it done. And give us your website one more time, Lon. It's famsandmonsters.com. Excellent. Lon, thanks for being on the program. Keep in touch. Oh, I will. Thanks again. All right. You be well. They say your past life affects who you are and when you are. Past life regressionist Barbara Lamb tells us more about her incredible journey. Barbara, welcome back to the program. Thank you, George. I'm delighted to be here. And how are you these days? I'm fine. Really busy these days. How did you get involved in hypnotherapy? How did that first start for you? 
Well, first of all, I became licensed as a psychotherapist back in 1976, way back there. And then um, in 1984, I began to have a few years of training to be a past life regression therapist. And that eventually morphed into people coming for regressions who had had extraterrestrial encounters. And, of course, when they first started coming in 1991, some of them knew that they were having strange visitors at night and sometimes they were having missing time or sometimes they would have unusual markings on their bodies or little lumps under their skin, which turned out to be implants. And so they didn't really know what was going on, but they knew something very peculiar was happening to them now and then. So anyway, uh, we did regressions to some of those experiences, and it turned out that they were extraterrestrial encounters. So that's how I happened to get into that. And my goodness, George, since 1991, um, I have had the great uh, privilege, I consider it, of regressing well over 2,000 individuals to these extraterrestrial experiences. And Barbara, when you were doing this and you were getting these kinds of accounts, did you think, this is weird, this is strange? Well, I did, yes, because I, like most of us, I didn't grow up with that kind of knowledge at all. And I had thought that UFOs and extraterrestrials were simply fiction. That's what I thought. So when people started coming to me with these particular happenings and and wonderings, you know, I I really wasn't thinking in terms of extraterrestrials. But the more the regressions went on and the more detailed the experiences were that were coming out in regression, you know, I finally had to believe that, whoa, a lot of people are getting visited. By these beings and having a variety of experiences. At what point did you start getting involved with the children? Well, even back in that first year in 1991, I uh, was working with about three different adults about their extraterrestrial experiences, and they were talking about their children having uh, reports. The children would give reports of you know, unusual visitors in the room at night or being flown out the window and up into the air and into someplace else. And so the adults began to think, wow, I'm not only having these experiences, but my child is having them. So fortunately um, for them and for me, uh, some of these mothers were bringing their children in to my office just to have a chat about these things and what they were describing about the beings and about what was happening to them certainly sounded like what was happening to the adults and that they were indeed having experiences with what we call extraterrestrial beings. But I'd like to mention some of the the ways that children talked about them. Uh, 
it's kind of cute in some ways. In other words, some children would report that fairies were in their room last night. Or some kids called them monsters. Oh, those little monsters came again. Or kids said, oh, yeah, those little sparkles of light came in the room through the window and they swirled around and made all these pretty patterns. And some kids even said, you know, a big ball of light, white light, came into the room and woke me up, and it was sort of flying around, and then it stopped, and then out of this big ball of light came a little guy, a little being, a little, like a little gray being, or sometimes even three little beings. Of course, they didn't know to call them aliens. They didn't know what they were. Extraterrestrials, no, but they just would see this thing happen. And some people called them little people. So they'd report the next day to mom and dad, oh, the little people came. Or I know one child kept talking about the funny little people. And um, one lady saw all these little sparkles flying around in the room when these occasions would happen, and she called them the fireflies because that's what it reminded her of. And then I had somebody at one point, one child, uh, called them the gargoyle people because he had seen statues on Notre Dame and different uh, cathedrals like that. And so these E.T. visitors reminded him of the gargoyles. Um, Another lady saw little lights very frequently around the ceiling, the edge of the wall where it meant the ceiling, met the ceiling all the way around, and she called them the the little woodgies. The little woodgies? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So in other words, kids don't know what to call them, so they sort of make up their own name. And another um, little boy said, oh, yeah, that little old man came again last night the one with a wrinkly face. And and then many children have reported that somebody, a being or two or three, um, have come out of the closet or in through the window. But I've really been amazed at how many people report these beings coming out of the closet. That sounds like a portal to me. It does sound like a portal. And, of course, uh, the children don't know that concept about a portal, Um, but but they certainly do frequently describe that. And some people uh, call them their space friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of these, um, you know, kids are quite scared even terrified as they see these beings come in, particularly the ones that they consider are monsters. But then there are plenty of other kids who consider these beings as their friends, as playmates, as companions. Have any of these children been taken and then brought back? Oh, yes. Yes, that's all part of the experience. And typically, just as it is with adults or any age, um, the child will remember waking up and the beings in the room and very often not being able to move Mm -hmm. or call out. Um, And they they might be aware enough to um, have realization of being 
levitated up off the bed and floated across the room, floated through the room or through the wall with these beings. And sometimes they'll remember even kind of like being floated up in a beam of light into something. It's got to be petrifying for the kid. It's scary for an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. It can be scary for any age. However, uh, what I have found with adults and with children, the more we talk about all this, and then when we do regressions too, of course, uh, that they realize that, oh, what seemed to be terrible and scary and uh, frightening very often turns out to be an okay experience once they really realize what the details were and that in some cases they were even helped in various ways by these beings. These beings sense the kid is scared or something, I bet. Oh, they they must, yes. And, And I think that that is why they try to do this clandestinely because they know that they can really scare humans. What do you think they want, though, Barbara? I mean, well, why deal with little kids? What, what What's happening? Well, you see, George, there are so many different kinds of extraterrestrial beings, different species from all over the place. True. And so they each have their own agenda. So it depends on which group of ETs we're talking about. Uh, some of them... Um, are more scientifically oriented, and they want to study. They want to study us. They want to study children, teenagers, young adults, older adults, and understand how our physiology works. Maybe they seeded us, and they're checking back. Possible? Real good possibility. What a good idea you have. Yeah, uh, many of us do have that theory that that is quite likely. We don't know for sure, but quite likely. So some of the beings, as I say, like to really understand how our bodies work. And that even begins with understanding a child's body. Uh, Some of them um, are more interested in how they can help a human's body whether that's a child or an older person. And they do a lot of healing of different conditions that we humans have. And sometimes if they don't go ahead and heal something that they can see is wrong, uh, they will warn the person uh, that they have a liver problem or whatever the problem is that they're seeing. And they'll suggest to the person that when the person gets home again, the person will go to his own doctor for a checkup and say that he suspects that maybe he has that particular problem, which the ETs have directed, detected, and um, that you know the doctor will go ahead and, and treat that condition. But so many times, even children and any age of person will be actually healed of whatever the condition is, healed right there on the spaceship, or even in some cases, uh, the person is healed right there at home in their own bed. In other words, the whole encounter just stays right there in the person's home. 
and it's frequently done, that is the healing, is done with some kind of application of light. Uh, sometimes, yeah, or green goo, as you have. Yeah, green goo, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's uh, one of the notable things about children, that uh, sometimes children have found that they've been taken on board and put in a tub, like a bathtub type of arrangement, and instead of water in that tub, um, it's filled with what they describe as green goo, because it's sort of a little bit, it's runny, but thick, a little bit viscous. Of course, they don't use that word. Um, And that they just sort of soak their bodies, like soaking in a bathtub. And that there's something about that green substance that gets absorbed through the child's skin and heals the child of whatever the difficulty is. And then on other occasions, uh, sometimes a child is sick to some extent when taken aboard the spacecraft, and um, the child is given a glass of green liquid to drink. And that is a very healing process as well. So we humans don't know what makes up that green substance, but uh, I wish we had it because it seems to be a wonderful healer. These are just amazing stories in this real small book. For yes. kids. This is, is this primarily for kids or adults? Because I find it kind of interesting myself. Good for you. Yes, well, we wrote the book uh, for kids primarily, but with the idea that in many cases a parent or grandparent or babysitter might be reading that book or just looking at it, you know, with the child, maybe reading the captions, whether the child can read or not, kids love to be read to. And um, the the idea is that um, this can validate for children if they have had these encounters. And one reason why that's important is because so many children tell their parents that their little woodgies or their little space friends or whatever um, have been there again right. last night. And the parents very often don't believe the child. They don't see this experience, do they? No, they don't see it. They are in their own rooms just totally sound asleep. She's one of a heck of a lady. For Dan Galante, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Les, Lex, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladisor, Stephanie Smith, Chris Burroughs, Tim Banal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie, somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.